Good evening, church. My name is Lunga, and today's Bible reading will come from James chapter 1, from verses 19 to 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of men does not produce righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks internally at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forget what he, looked, he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perceives being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not riddle his tongue and deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled by, before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the word. Good evening, church. Oh, okay, doesn't sound like a good evening. Good evening, church. I'm black for those who are Joining us for the first time, good uh, evening to you if you're on Zoom. Uh, this is our week two, looking at the book of James in our series titled Dead Faith. Um, and so we're continuing uh, with that this, this week. Um, and I just want to say um, that earlier on it was said that princesses don't smell. Um, I live with one. And her nappies would say otherwise. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, it is indeed, um, yeah, just time for us to reflect uh, on the blessing and gifts that God has given us uh, through our women, our mothers, our wives, our sisters, our daughters. Um, August is the greatest month, uh, not just because it's Women's Month, but the great people like myself were born in August. Uh, so... So we, we celebrate August for, for many reasons. Uh, when were you born, Martin? Doesn't matter. Uh, uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm very uh, grateful and privileged to be opening up God's word. So let me pray and ask the Lord to um, be with us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you uh, that, yeah, just from the beginning of the service, Lord, uh, we have our sisters who have served us in leading and praying and reading. And during the interview, Lord, um, Father, we live in a country, a world, in fact, that does not appreciate uh, this beautiful gift that you've given us through, through women. And Father, as, as Christians, uh, especially as Christian men, Lord, um, Father, you really put it on us um, to, to uphold the dignity of women and to treat them the same way that you see them and view them. And that's with absolute love and compassion. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you that um, you have called us uh, to such a great responsibility and privilege. Father, we do pray um, that even as your word is open, um, that, Lord, it can challenge all areas of our lives, uh, not just how we interact as people of different genders, uh, but as humans, Lord, um, and particularly Christian humans um, that you've called to be salt and light in this world. So I pray, Father, that as as you speak to us this evening, uh, you, may, you may really challenge us, Lord, um, and help us to go do exactly what your word tells us to do, and that is to live it out. Um, 
Let's pray that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit, soften all our hearts, mine included. And we ask this um, by your wonderful and precious name, we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Um, If you have your Bibles, please uh, keep them open. James chapter 1, verses 19 till 27. That's where we're going to be spending our evening. Um, I grew up in Tembisa. It's a township just across the highway. Um, Forget what anyone says. That's the best township in the world. Um, And growing up on the streets, we would know as kids in our little brains that anything we say or do uh, would be a reflection of our family. And so we would try our hardest not to misbehave, not to say any, anything stupid, but that's hard for a kid, right? Um, and God forbid one day you did something stupid and there was a, an adult in the street, they would rebuke you. Um, but the interesting thing is the words that come at the end of the rebuke. Meaning, whose child is this? Uh, where do they come from? Because anything that you would say or do would be an indication of the kind of family you come from. And so if you behave like a rotten apple, it's clearly that your household is just full of rotten apples. Um, and, and we knew that. I know it very well now that I have a two-year-old. Right? Um, one day my daughter was frustrated. Don't know what she was doing. I forgot. With, I think she was putting on her shoes or something. Um, and with her little voice, she said, dang it. And I looked at my wife and I was like, yeah, that's me. That's exactly me. Um, maybe I shouldn't say that word in front of her. Or maybe I shouldn't just say that word ever again. Right. Uh, and I just said it in the pulpit. So if you have any complaints, please send them to Roy tonight. Uh, he's on holiday, ruined his holiday. But, 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 but whatever my daughter says is, is reflective of, of me. Um, And so the words that we say are a reflection of who we're listening to. The words we speak are a reflection of who we're reading. Today's title uh, for the sermon is Godly Words Matter. A lot of things matter today. But for you, real Christian, godly words matter. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. But if you you weren't here last week, just to kind of fast forward you on what we looked at um, last week, and I have to apologize up front if it felt like I threw you on a bullet train of information last week. Um, if you felt like that, it's because I didn't give you the structure of the sermon, um, which is fine. I didn't take away from what God wanted to say to us. Um, but, but last week's sermon, we looked at four things. One, uh, just the background of the book of James. Secondly, we looked at why we titled the series Dead Faith. Uh, And then we looked at the the theme of joy and the theme of wisdom uh, that James picks up in chapter one. And he picks up on a lot of other themes. But what James basically says to these Christians who are persecuted um, and they're facing hard times, uh, that yes, you can complain. Yes, you can be anxious. uh, But remember, as a Christian, that is not your address. So, So you pass through complaining. You pass through anxiety. But your permanent address, especially in times of troubles, is joy. That's who you are. That's what God has called you to be. In fact, that's who Jesus has made you to be, a person of joy, even in the midst of trials. You're not excited about the trials, but you're really joyful about what God is doing through the trials. Again, just a reminder that nothing in God's economy is wasted, even the smell. Even the smell of poop God will use in our lives 
to, uh, sh uh, to sharpen our faith and to, to glorify himself. Uh, and if you're struggling with finding joy, James says to us, well, turn to God's wisdom, right? Verses five to verses nine, that's what we looked at last week. Turn to God's wisdom and God's wisdom will give you all that you need so that you, you can be sustained uh, throughout these trials. And the uh, interesting thing there, or really the encouraging thing is, is God's single-mindedness to give you wisdom. So God is not double-minded about giving you wisdom. As you sit here, you might be feeling like a rotten piece of apple because you haven't lived a righteous life this week. It's been tough as a Christian. You probably haven't read your Bible, probably haven't prayed as much as you have. It does not change how God looks at you. It does not change that God is single-mindedly, purposely focused, wanted to give you wisdom. God wants that. God wants to give you wisdom. And he just says, ask. All you have to do is ask. And James compared that with our double-mindedness. God's single-mindedness to give us wisdom generously and our double-mindedness of having one leg uh, in the world because we're trying to rely on the world's wisdom, but another leg in, in God's kingdom because we desperately want to have God's wisdom. Verses 7, James says, or yeah, 7, that that person won't receive anything from the Lord. So don't be double-minded, but appeal to God's wisdom. Um, what is wisdom again? Just practical application of God's will. Uh, where do we find God's will? Well, we find it in God's word, right? True to chapter one, uh, like we said last week, James uh, basically treats this as a table of contents, uh, the tuppers of the book of James, where he, he kind of gives us all the various themes that he's going to look at. And today's section, we're looking at the theme of, of words, um, which he picks up again in chapter three. Uh, if you're taking notes, uh, just write this down. This is what James uh, wants to uh, uh, put the, the theme of words in. This is what is supposed to um, cushion or couch this, this theme of words. It's this must re have relationship between God's words and, and our words. So, so James says, for the real Christian, you cannot talk about words outside of this must-have relationship, this relationship between God's word and our words, right? So if you're a Christian and you speak about your words outside of God's word, then you're not speaking about true Christianity. But true Christianity and how we use our words can only exist in this must-have. It's a must-have relationship of God's word and our words. Um, so our key takeaway for this evening will be this. Reading and meditating on God's word should and must influence the thinking and speaking of our words. I'll say that again. Reading and the meditation of God's word should and must influence the thinking and speaking of our words. Amen. Amen, amen. And, and where that relationship is seen are the three points for this evening, um, the, the three areas in which this relationship is seen. It's seen uh, in our heat, that's the first point. Uh, it's seen in our hearts, that's the second point. And then it's seen in, in our hands, right? So where do we see this must-have relationship of our words and God's word? Well, it's seen in our heat, that's our anger. And what James is going to show us there is that only God's word can calm our heat. Nothing else can calm the heat of Christians. Um, secondly, our hearts. James is going to show us that only God's word should claim our hearts and nothing else. Because whatever claims your heart, 
That's what you will obey and that's how you'll behave, right? And lastly, God's word should commission our hands. And now this is an interesting one because James is going to show us that if we claim to be people who possess the truth, then we should, in acts of service, speak for those who are voiceless, who are helpless in our culture and our world. James is also going to say, if you're going to do that, then know that God doesn't care about your lip service. Just saying you're a Christian anywhere you find yourself or just saying to people, well, God bless you, and you leave them that way. James says, if God's word is going to commission our hands, then he's not looking for our lip service, but he wants real practical service that's motivated by love. Because that speaks more volumes than just us saying to somebody who is in need, oh, God bless you. I hope you get warm, and I hope somebody else feeds you, right? Um, James says we need to do that. So three things, heat, hearts, hands. Amen. Amen. Let's look at our first point, heat. Uh, that is found in verses 19 till 21. So we're looking at our first point, the truth that God's word is the only thing that can calm our heat. Listen to what James says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. All right. So it would be good for us to remember the context of the book of James. These Christians are being persecuted um, and they dispersed. We see that in, in verses one. They're outside of Jerusalem and they scattered everywhere. And so they persecuted again. James says in their persecution, they need to be people of joy. Why does he have to remind them of that? Well, if you're under pressure and you're under trials, uh, you have a tendency of grumbling, of complaining. And as we see now in verses 19, the tendency of being angry um, because you are under pressure. If you don't know that to be true, ask a parent taking their kids to school in the morning. Uh, you, you will see the anger of a parent who's under trials and tribulations. But, but that's what uh, James is, is, is advising these Christians and telling them to be joyful because you'll have a tendency of being angry when you're under pressure. How is anger expressed or how is anger shown? Right? For, for most adults like us, it will be expressed or shown in our words um, and words that would be regrettable, words that are irretrievable, words that we would not have uh, wished that we, we, we said. And so that's why James says in verses 19, uh, as you're going through trials and tribulations, Christians, uh, it would be better for you to listen more and speak less, right? I want you to say to somebody next to you, listen more and speak less. Amen. That's verses 19. And, and here's why James is saying this that these guys and us this evening should speak more, uh, speak less rather, and listen more. Two things happen. The first thing is that if we listen to God's word more, because that's, that's the, the, the thing that James is speaking again. Remember, this is couched in the relationship, the must-have relationship of God's word and our words. And so he's saying we need to listen to God's word more because that increases our joy in the midst of, of trials, right? So when you're facing trials, uh, Satan, the world, your own sin will tempt you to turn away from God, will tempt you to be angry at God, to be angry with the world. But if you are listening to God's word more, 
right? Try speak less in your anger. Try speak less in the trials, in the temptation, uh, in the tribulations. Uh, but listen to God's word more. Your your joy increases, um, and as your joy increases in the midst of trials, that speaks volumes to those around you. Right? The world is falling apart as we know it right now. And everyone at work, in your family, in your community, I just seen your joy increase more and more. Lockdown after lockdown, your joy is increasing. Um, and they're wondering to themselves, what is going on there? That will speak volumes about the convictions you have in God's word. So if we listen more to God's word and speak less, we become exactly what Jesus says we should be. And we become the light in a world that is grumbling, in a world that's complaining, in a world that's full of anger. These Christians become joyful and their joy becomes the light that this world really needs. So that's the first thing that happens. The second thing, if we listen more to God's word and speak less, our hearts become softened. If you've been a Christian for two seconds and you spend time in God's word, you know that the more you read it, the more your heart softens because you see yourself for who you are and you see God for who he is. And that helps you to see other people with gentleness, with meekness. You approach them with empathy because you see them as sinners, just like yourself, who are broken in desperate need for the same God that you are meeting with every day as you read his word. So if we read God's word, it softens our hearts and we become more empathetic. We take on the posture of Jesus. When Jesus says that we need to love our enemies, he wasn't just saying, hey, love your enemies. I know it's a hard thing to do. Well, go figure it out. No, he said that knowing that he's going to give us his word. And the more we read his word, the more our hearts soften, the more we become empathetic, the more it is to love your enemies. The same people that you are tempted to be angry at and, and lash out with your words as you're facing trials, your heart softens. Your heart becomes more empathetic. Your heart becomes more loving, more caring. As you read God's word um, more, listen to God more, and speak less. This is the opposite of our culture. Amen. Many of us are on social media. So you can raise your hand. It's cool, right? Don't leave that thing, right? Uh, <laughs> I haven't been on social media for a year. Like, I feel so liberated. But anyway, that's another sermon. Um, but it's the opposite of our culture. This idea of speaking uh, less and listening more. Right? If you're on social media, you see all the noise there. You hear people speaking more, more, and more. In fact, they encourage you to speak more. You're wondering why you only have three posts. That's because the algorithm on Instagram is not pushing your posts out because you're not speaking more and people are not in interacting with you more. You're wondering, why am I not getting so many followers on Twitter? Well, here's how the algorithm of Twitter works. If you put out a tweet now and I put up another one, it pushes yours down, right? So that's what happens the, the whole day. Your tweet is just getting pushed down. And so they encourage you to tweet more, tweet more, tweet more, tweet more, so that people can see, right? So that's, that's what our culture is saying to us. Speak more, tweet more, Facebook status more, WhatsApp status more, Insta stories more, say more, say more. And, and all of us can admit that once we were trapped in that kind of cycle, we became very anxious, we became very jealous, envious, we grumbled more, we complained more, we became more angry. Even for things that we were supposed to respond to uh, with righteousness, uh, we became more angry. Verses 20, uh, 
Um, James says to us, that kind of anger that is generated by people making more noise, that is not God's anger. God's righteous indignation towards evil and sin. But that anger is anger that is, it comes up from us um, as people because we are speaking more and listening less uh, to God's word. So that does not produce the righteous indignation of God, but it just produces man's anger. And so he says that kind of anger is not what you're supposed to have as Christians. In fact, verses 21, he says, put all of that away. All right? Put all of that away. And you sitting here and you're asking yourself, well, how, Sway? How can I put all that away? Again, it is only through the word of God that can calm our heat. Nothing else can calm your heat. But social media, and if you rely on the world's wisdom, that's definitely going to increase your heat, your heat right? Well, maybe I should just have like five more beers. I'll be calm. No, you're not. You're going to be more angry, right? Ah, maybe I should call Bay. Bay's going to remind you that you didn't call her last week and you're going to be more angry, right? The more we rely on anything else, that's not going to come our heat. But he says, put it all away by listening to God's word. And we see that clearly in verses 21. Put away all the, the, the filth, right? All your old self, your way of thinking, your old patterns, your way of using words before you were saved. Put all of that away. Put away rampant uh, wickedness. This wickedness that's all around us. Everywhere you turn, you are tempted to respond to all of those things with anger. And so he says, put all of that away. And that can only happen through the powerful word of God. Nothing else. Nothing else will calm your heat but the word of God. And there at the end of verses 21, something beautiful happens. And he reminds us of what it means to be steadfast again that he picked up in verses 2. That the more we listen to God's word, the more we become meek. And through that meekness, he says, receive the word of God again. And so this process happens over and over again. I receive God's word. I become more meek. I become more meek to receive God's word. I receive God's word. I become more meek. I receive, I become more meek. I receive God's word. And that is the process of sanctification. And then we, we develop a posture of Jesus to become meek and go submit ourselves to God over and over again. So the question with our first point is, are you, who, who are you listening to now? Who are you going to listen to as we leave? Are you going to continue listening to the culture? Because you're going to sound like the culture. And as James tells us, you're just going to end up more angry. That's what's going to happen. And that leads to death, as we saw last week. Or are you going to listen to God's word? Some of you are sitting here and you haven't touched your Bible in 500 years. And this is a reminder. It's not a jab. Make a resolve now as you sit here. You hear God is speaking through his word. Make the resolve now. As I leave, I'm going to go home. Tomorrow is a holiday. I don't have to worry about work. I'm just going to spend an hour listening to the Lord speak to me. Why? Because I want to grow in meekness. I want to grow to look more and more like Jesus. Because um, that will influence the words that come out of my mouth. That will influence the words that I think about if I listen to anything else. So that's our first point for this evening. Right? James says that only God's word can come our heat, only God's word can make us more meek to receive more of God's word, to become more meek, to receive more of God's word. Uh, amen. The second point for our evening is hot. Verses 22 till 25. This is going to be uh, a, a longer section, but read with me 
verses 22 till 25, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, but goes away at once, um, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. Um, and so James is saying to us um, that God's word should claim our hearts, because if God's word claims our hearts, it will be seen in how we speak, uh, it will be seen in what we do. Again, the heart is a very precious place. It's the chamber from which all of, all of our life that we see being acted out starts. That's where everything starts. In our hearts, our thoughts, uh, our dreams, our ambitions, everything starts there. And so James says it's vital for the real Christian to have his or her heart uh, being, uh, being claimed by the word of God. That's actually the central theme of the book of James, this idea of us not just being hearers, but, but doers of the word, right? It's important for us to note that, that James is not saying that, that, that hearing is, is a bad thing, um, but he's saying that we must never separate the two. We can never treat hearing and doing as, as an either or, uh, but in fact, hearing and doing are both and. In fact, James is, is rebuking here with these Christians and is rebuking this in us this evening uh, that we shouldn't just have a hearing that does not lead to doing. Never have a hearing that does not lead to doing. But instead, hearing should and must lead to doing. His older brother taught this in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus says, blessed are those who, who, who receive the, the word of God and keep it, right? So hear the word of God and keep it, not just hear it, but hear it and keep it. How do you keep it? Well, you live it out, you do it. So both Jesus and James, and I might add this church, we, we're convinced that doing is the only response to hearing. Doing is the only response to hearing. Obedience that the Bible calls us to is the only appropriate response to hearing God's grace. There's nothing else. If you are not doing or living or obeying God's word, then we question whether you've been hearing God's word. Doing, obeying, living it out is the only appropriate response to grace. So if I would ask you this evening, have you received grace? And you'd ask what grace is. Well, it's unmerited favor given to ill-deserving sinners like us. We were headed for hell, but grace is what snatched us from the flames of hell and gave us life abundantly in Christ. Amen. And I would ask you, have you received that grace? And if your answer is yes, I have received that grace, but you don't live, you don't obey, you don't do God's word. James will say, not me, James, verse 22, you're deceiving yourself. You are lying to yourself. If you would say, amen and amen, I've received that grace, but you don't live, don't obey, don't do God's word. In fact, there's a church I went to in high school. Um, there was an old lady who would sit in front 
with a Bible. She was the only one with the Bible open. Uh, so in hindsight, I, I realized that we're just playing games. Uh, but the preacher would preach to prosperity gospel church. So you know what the context of the preaching is. But as the preacher is getting fired up, this old lady, frail, old, she'd get up with a Bible shaking and she would scream, Mfundisi, unamanga. <laughs> For those who don't know, she would scream, preacher, you are lying. All right. Um, and now that I know what the true gospel is, I was like, that lady was right. right? Um, but but here's, here's what, what I'm bringing that up for. James would say to you again this evening to these Christians, if you would say amen and amen, I have received God's grace, but you don't live, do, or obey God's word. You're deceiving yourself. You are lying. That cannot happen again. This relationship of God's word and our word, this is a must-have relationship in how we, we speak and how we act and how we think. And so James says, do not deceive yourself. In fact, he wants us to get the point even clearer in verses 23 till 24. Verses 23, which has been quoted millions and millions of times. Bible studies everywhere we find ourselves. You've heard people quote this about the man who looks at himself in the mirror, walks away, forgets his face. Here's what James is actually asking. He's asking a question there in verses 23. James is saying, you explain to me then if you don't think you're a deceived Christian. You explain to me, how can a man intently, purposefully, with intention, with focus, look at his natural face in the mirror, walk away, and forget how he looks? You explain that to me. That's what James is saying. And we have to come to only one uh, logical answer for that. If a man would do that or a woman would do that, the only logical answer is that he seemed to be looking. He appeared to be looking, but in fact, he was daydreaming. In fact, he was distracted. He was standing by the mirror. He seemed to be looking at his face, but whatever he was daydreaming about, distracted about, was more important than his face. That's the only logical conclusion we can get to. As you said here in the evening service, God is opening up his word to us. He's speaking to all of us. And you walk away, get in your car now. Do not live, do not obey, do not practice. We should only conclude that you were daydreaming at the evening service. Whatever you were thinking about this evening was more important than you meeting with the king of the universe. Whatever was distracting you. That should be our only logical conclusion. That as you sit at home, reading your Bible, and you close it, go to work, and you live the same life that you lived before you were a Christian, you were distracted in Zalwan. You were daydreaming. And that was more important than meeting with God. You go to life group, and the same thing happens again. We should only conclude that you're deceiving yourself because you were distracted by something that was more important. In fact, in verses 25, James says, here's where we need to drive the truth even deeper. He speaks of the perfect law, the law of liberty. And he says, this man needs to look at the perfect law or the law of liberty. Because if he does that with intention, with focus, with purpose, then he perseveres. 
He's not going to be like the hero who walks away forgetting what he looks like, but he'll be blessed in his doing. So what is this law of liberty or this perfect law? Well, it's the truth that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law of God on our behalf perfectly. Perfectly. In his, in his life, in his death, his resurrection, even in his, his ascension, Jesus never broke the law even once. And he did that for you. Remember what James says of God's single-mindedness to give you wisdom? Jesus single-mindedly wants to give you his righteousness. And, and the cross proves that for us. He wants you to be righteous. So much so that he died to show you that he wants you to be righteous. He never broke the law once. And because of that, he says those who, are say, who say they're Christians, who have placed their faith and trust in him, right, know this. That he did that so that you can be liberated. You can be free from the, the burden of being unable to live up to the requirements of the law. Because outside of Jesus, we cannot fulfill the law at all. But it's only in Jesus. And so James says to us, those who are Christians now, we can look at the law positively. And know that the law is no longer a burden on us, but it's God's call on our lives to be holy. For the non-Christian, the law is burdensome. They can't fulfill it. They'll try over and over and over and over again, and the law will just remind them, you are sinners and you need a savior. But for those who say that they're Christians, the law is a positive thing we can look at as God's call on our lives to be holy. And we can achieve that through grace. Through grace, we can live the way God wants us to live. Church, this is good news. This is what the good news is. That Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law for sinners like us and therefore give us grace so that we can live the life that we were meant to live at first. This is, this is good news, church. And so James would say to these Christians, James would say to us this evening, if you are a deceived Christian because you're daydreaming and you're distracted, hear this. If you are deceived, you probably stop believing the good news. You have stopped believing the good news and you started believing whatever it is that is uh, distracting you, whatever it is that you're daydreaming about. Because if you believe in the good news, James would say, that should affect your ears, what you listen to. It should affect your eyes, what you watch. It should affect your lips, the words that you use. It should affect your hands, your feet, your money, your home, your affections, your work. It should affect every single thing in your life if it doesn't affect anything or doesn't change anything in your life then again you've stopped believing the good news you believe some news i don't know what it is but it's not the good news i'll give you an example if somebody hears good music they respond by dancing if somebody eats good food they respond by being full and giving compliments to the chef if, if somebody goes on a good holiday, they respond by being rested and coming back wanting to work more. If somebody uh, has, has, has a good conversation, they respond by being excited and they want to invite that person back to their house. So how can you tell me that you've heard the good news that you are no longer a slave, but you continue living like one? How can you tell me that you have heard the good news and you believe it, that Jesus Christ has given you life abundantly, but you continue living like you're dead? Zalana, you're deceiving yourself. You believe in some news, but it's not the good news. 
And James says to these Christians, and he says to us, wake up from your dead faith. Wake up from your dead faith. Only God's word should claim your heart. Because if God's word claims your heart, then it will be seen in how you live your life. You've probably seen that show on DSTV, My 600 Pound Life. People who have just been eating and eating and eating and eating and eating, um, and now they can't even move. But they still require people to come feed them. And that's what he says the deceived Christian is. He's come to the evening service over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and he's just sitting here, Black, feed me more. David, feed me more. Reggie, feed me more. But you can't even go out and practice anymore. Because you just want to be a hearer and eat and eat and eat and eat. Ask Tyron. Tyron is probably like the only muscle man, after Martin, of course, uh, in the church, right? But ask Tyron. Tyron eats like a full chicken, one man. Why does he do that? Because he needs to go practice at CrossFit tomorrow. So he eats to put into practice. Mzalwane, you can't just be eating every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Thursday, wherever you meet for your life group, but you're not practicing. And you just become my 600 pound life. And not a Christian whose heart has been captured or claimed by the word of God. See, these kind of Christians end up being angry. You spend too much time scrutinizing what the pastor is saying, scrutinizing the word, trying to learn this other theological thing. Blah, blah, blah. There's nothing wrong with theology. There's nothing wrong with scrutinizing the Bible. We encourage that in this church. Come, let's all gather and meet and study God's word. Not for study's sake, for practice's sake. That's why you end up as an angry Christian. But now, but the pastor said this, you know, you should have put this doctrine like this. And you're just angry over and over. And we ask you, why are you angry? Uh, you should have preached like this. Well, how, many, how many people have you shared the gospel with? Your faith is dead. My 600 pound life. Let our hearts be claimed by God's word because that's the chamber from which everything we do starts amen the last point for this evening hands uh, so we looked at heat we looked at hearts and now last point hands verses 26 till 27 uh, james says if anyone thinks he is religious and does not brittle his tongue but deceives his heart this person's religion is worthless religion that is pure and undefiled before god the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so we need to remember that James is the apostle of, of practical theology. James is not against theology, but he wants you to put it into practice. Uh, James is not concerned about our lip service, but he's concerned again about real actual practical service that's motivated by love. Love for, for God, love for God's word, love for people. And so James wants these Christians to not look at themselves, but to be concerned about service, because that's what he says in verses 26 and 27. And if you've just been reading the book of James and listening to what we've been saying, 
it seems like a ridiculous ask. James, these guys are being persecuted. Why would you ask them to go serve? You know? God forbid there's a persecution of Christians at Midrand, and now we have to hide in our homes. We can't meet like this. And then Royden comes and says, Christchurch, Midrand, I, I want you to go serve. What? We're getting killed on the streets, bro, and you want us to go serve? Yeah. God wants you to go serve, and here's why. Because uh, if we, we remain in our hiding, uh, we become inward focused. What happens with people who are inward focused in the midst of trials? You self-implode. We've heard countless stories of people who were isolated during the lockdown, alone. No community, no one's calling them, no WhatsApp, nothing. After a while, you just self-implode. You grumble about all the things you're going through, you become angry. And in verses 18, which we didn't read, but again, please go home, read it if you haven't. But you see the anger that Christians would have, and we, we then blame God for what is going on. Because God is tempting me. God is the one making all these trials. But that's because we are inward focus. But James says, if you would be outward focus, your joy will grow. That even in the midst of trials, remember that you are Jesus's hands and feet. You are Jesus's mouth. Go in the midst of trials. Love people, serve people, speak for, the, for those who can't speak for themselves. If we are outward focus, our joy grows, our faith grows, we are forced to trust God, we become salt and light in a dying world. Inward focusness is superficial religion. That's what James says, it's worthless religion, verses 26. And what is worthless religion? He breaks it down even further for us. It's religion that doesn't brittle its tongue, verses 26. It's religion that does not help the helpless, verses 27. It's religion that is stained by the world, verses 27 again. And before you, you panic, he uses the word religion as a synonym for faith. And so what he's saying is that religion that does not brittle its tongue, does not help the helpless or is stained by the world, is dead faith. It's useless faith. Um, verse 26, he says, you must brittle your tongue. Right? The word, word uh, brittle, Googled it, um, and I, I like the Google um, explanation, the noun that, the, that Google gives. Google says brittle is, is the headgear that's used to control a horse. Right? So if you've seen the equipment uh, that is put in the horse's mouth, it is used to control uh, the horse. And I like that Google uses the word headgear because that fits perfectly into our context. Because James would ask you in verses 26 and ask these Christians, what is the headgear that controls your tongue? What influences you? What, what is controlling your tongue? And he would appeal, which is what I've been appealing to the whole evening. It should be God's word, nothing else. God's word should be the brittle or the headgear that controls our tongue. God's, God's word helps us uh, to, 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 to be held back in our anger so that we do not just become thoughtless, uncaring fire spitters and just fire at people, people who are made in God's image, regardless of whether they're Christians or not. Um, but we don't become thoughtless, uncaring fire spitters. God's word will, will help hold us back. But at the same time, God's word frees our tongues 
uh, to say words that are loving, caring, edifying words that, are, that, that build up. Um, that can only happen in God's word. And so again, religion that is not worthless or faith that is not dead should be bridled by God's word. Secondly, uh, religion that is worthless or faith that is dead does not help those who are helpless. Verses 27, he says, religion that is pure or undefiled before the father, God the Father is this. Visit orphans, people who don't have parents, uh, widows in their affliction. And obviously, uh, in this time, widows would not have a husband, uh, and these kind of widows would not have a son who would take care of them. And so James would say, remember that we have widows and orphans in our midst. So let's go help those. This echoes what Jesus prays for in John 17, high priestly prayer. And Jesus says to God, I pray that you don't take the Christians out of the world, but leave them in. Right? And we always wonder, why did you not just take us to heaven, Jesus? You know, get saved, get zapped, ah, go have fun with the Lord. Um, but he leaves us here so that we can be his hands, his feet, and bring light to a dark world, be salt to a world that's decaying. All right. That's why he leaves us here. Verses 27, he says that if your eyes are opened, if you sit here, you say, I've received grace, you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, your eyes are open. Well, go be the eyes to those who are blind. Those who don't know God in your work, in your community, go be the eyes to those people. If you are liberated and you've been set free from your sin, go be the liberator of those who are oppressed. Right? There's many injustices that we see around us, and we as Christians cannot sit at home having dead faith and not stepping out in faith to go be a liberator to those who are oppressed. However, God leads us in godly uh, and, and, and meaningful ways that we find. He says, if you have the truth, be uh, a voice to those who are voiceless. If you have the bread of life, which is Jesus himself, and then go feed the hungry. In fact, we'll see this in, in, in a couple of weeks, but look at chapter 2, verses 15. Right? Listen to what he says. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, that, uh, what, uh, what good is that? Right? And so he says, you can't just say to somebody, well, God bless you, I provide for them what uh, they need. If God has blessed you with that, provide uh, them. And, and the interesting thing there, he calls them brothers and sisters, right? It echoes the sentiment of charity beginning at home, right? So some of us sit here and there's many opportunities around us in this church of people who fit this category, who are helpless, that we can help. We don't even have to look far, but we can start here, right? In fact, if we break this wall, right here on my right, is the care and crisis center next door, right? And, and, and that center was set up to take care of women who are experiencing gender-based violence, uh, teenagers who have unwanted pregnancy. We don't have to look far. The 21st of August, they're doing a walk around the community to make noise about Jesus and the love and the care he has for people in Midrand. And we can join them. We can walk with them. We can pray for Midrand right here in our home. We don't have to look far. The love trust just across us, right? Find out what needs do they, they, they have for the kids at knock. What else can you do? How else can you offer up your hands, your feet, your mouth to help them? We don't have to look far. God has blessed us with these kind of ministries around us. And so let our faith not be dead. 
Let our faith not be dead, but let's step out in faith. Lastly, he says that religion or faith that is dead is stained by the world. Remember what the summary statement of the book of James is, that James wants to encourage a spiritually renewed people to maintain a distinctively Christian attitude, right? Anytime, with anyone, anywhere they find themselves. How's that going to happen if you're stained by the world? If you sound like the world, if you look like the world, if you behave like the world, the people around you cannot even tell the difference between you and a non-Christian. They think you have the same values because of what you say with your mouth, how you behave, how you treat those around you. I don't know if you've ever been to church with a, a white shirt or a wedding, and then you get a sister with a face beat, uh, and then they hug you. Face beats is a lot of makeup, mom keys. Uh, and then they hug you, and then there's just the stain, right? Happened to me at one wedding. I just I wanted to die. Anyway, but, um, but, but the thing is, if you're wearing a white shirt and there's a makeup stain, guess what? You could, you could be killing it. Your outfit could be amazing, right? You're not even dripping. You're the whole ocean, right? Um, <laughs> but, but here's the thing. People will always notice the blemish on a white shirt. That's the first thing they'll see. If you have lipstick, that's the first thing they'll see, right? That draws their attention. Forget your outfit and how amazing you think you look. That's what happens with stained Christians. People see that, right? However you stained yourself by sounding, looking, behaving, having the same values as the world, that's what they'll see before they see that you're a Christian. In fact, James puts it positively and we're closing here that we should take action, be active, Right? He says, keep yourself from being unstained. Right? Keep oneself unstained from the world. That's what a life faith is. That's what true religion is. James is calling us to be um, like the storts, if I'm pronouncing this, this animal correctly. But the picture will be on screen. Uh, James is saying to us that we should be like this animal. See how white this animal is. Uh, but here's the thing. This animal gets hunted, right? I mean, there's a lot of facts about it. I'm not going to get into it, but let me make my points and why James wants us to be like that animal. This animal loves its, its skin, its fur, right? So much that it does not want to get it dirty at all, right? But it lives in like caves or, or holes. And so my assumption is that the holes are super clean because that's the big fact about this animal, that it doesn't like to get dirty, right? You can Google it when you get home. But this animal gets hunted for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is for its fur. And so when it gets hunted, the hunter goes to the hole um, where, where it lives and they put grease, oil, grim, anything that is like sticky and disgusting. And then they put the, they set the dogs on the stalks, right? And so the dogs chase this animal, but this animal runs back home for safety. It's running, 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 gets home. As it gets to the cave or the hole, it sees that it's, it's full of crime, right? And what this animal does, just stops there, turns around and surrenders. The stoat would rather get killed than to be dirty. It would rather get killed than be stained. So it surrenders and the hunters catch it like that. And that's exactly what James is saying to us and saying to these Christians, that we should have a faith that is unstained by the world, so much so that we are willing to die than to be stained. You should be willing to die socially and people ostracize you and kick you out of their social circles than you compromising your faith. You would rather die culturally 
and your family disown you because you didn't get married and slaughter a bunch of goats than to compromise on your faith. You would rather die economically, get fired at work, than for you to compromise your faith and steal or do something that goes against what God has called you to be in that, in that company. You would rather die to the point of even physical death than to renounce your faith and have dead faith be a 600-pound life kind of Christian, you would rather die. But you're going to step out in faith. Put what you know God has told you and has been teaching you and put it into practice. You would rather be the stones, remain unstained by the world. I'd rather die. And so if we are going to be a spiritually renewed people who maintain a distinctively Christian attitude, anytime with anyone, anywhere we find ourselves, James will say to us this evening, let your heat be calmed by God's word. Let your heart be claimed by God's word. Let your hands be commissioned by God's word, even if it costs you your life. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful that you, you sacrificed your one and only son to open our eyes, to soften our hearts, and to call us to partner with you, Lord, in this mission of saving the world. Father, I pray this evening for all of us that we may not be 600-pound life Christians. Father, that as we leave here today, what you've said to us in your word and what you continue saying to us through our Bible studies, through the Christian music that we listen to, the encouragement that our friends give us, our family, brothers and sisters, Father, that we would put all of those to practice. That, Father, we would believe you, not just with our minds, but with our hands, our feet, our mouths, our work, our homes, our clothes, anywhere we find ourselves, Lord. Father, I pray that we do not leave here the same. And only through your Holy Spirit can you make that happen. We depend on you and we rely on you and if you don't move, Father, anything we're going to be doing will be in vain. So I pray that you would bless our doing with grace, with energy, with courage, with boldness. And Father, we would stand for you and with you anytime, with anyone, anywhere we find ourselves. In your wonderful and precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.